and other things that I find important, things that I learned by trying different editors without any prejudice. You just go and try. Sometimes you just got to write some code on a Google Doc and see what is good about it. Hello and welcome to the new episode of Code and Beyond, a podcast where we talk about software development and anything beyond that. As software engineers, we rely a lot on tools, editors, IDEs, linters, version control systems, terminal emulators, virtual machines, and so on. Tools we bought, downloaded for free from the internet, and build ourselves. In some ways, these tools define or at least affect quality of final results that we produce. They boost our delivery speed and automate some boring tasks. Sometimes they drive us crazy, let's admit this as well. We depend on them and need them almost every day. Let's talk about our favorite tools and try to find a way to build the most effective development environment. My name is Alex, and as usual, I am joined by my good friend Pablo. Hi, Pablo. Hey, Alex. We have a special guest today as well, Juan Ibiapina. He has the most advanced development environment I've ever seen in my life. Hello, Juan. Hi, Alex. Hi, Pablo. And thanks. <laughs> First of all, Juan, could you introduce yourself? All right. Thanks for having me, Alex. I'm really glad you think so highly of my development environment. <laughs> really glad to be a part of the podcast. So my name is Juan, and I'm mostly a back-end developer, although sometimes I work with front-end. And I've been in the industry working with mostly Ruby for around 10 years now. And uh, I'm from, from Brazil, living in Germany. Could you introduce your development environment? Just maybe list a couple of things that you use. I'm a big fan of uh, doing things in the terminal. So I guess the first two I could talk about is Alacrity, which, which is the terminal I use. Then inside Alacrity, I run Tmux for multiplexing terminals. And inside of that, I run Vim for editing code, Zshell for the actual shell, and a couple of other small tools here and there. And there's also a bunch of stuff outside of the terminal that I do, like a browser and other things. But I think the most interesting thing for me, it's inside of the terminal. And what runs terminal? What operating system do you use? All right. So currently I'm running Linux uh, at, at my in my desktop computer and I'm running NixOS. It's a really underground Linux distribution, which I love. But I also work with the same setup or very similar setup in my Mac as well. But my preferred environment is Linux. All of these tools are available online. Like all of my, each of my friends know one tool or the other. So there's this guy, my friend back in Brazil, João. He uses Fuzzy Finder. A lot of people use Fuzzy Finder. And when I when I met this tool at the time it was FCF, right? It written in Go, but now there's another one written in Rust that I forget the name now. But I use this thing, and I use it everywhere. And it's just such a great shortcut. And it's always picking up tools like this, small things here and there from friends and from other influences or from blog posts, and it's just mixing all in a big, big repository. Well, I have one question because it's fine to, to start to use uh, tools here and there. I always struggle to, to mix them. So for example, you're mentioning a, a fuzzy finder, right? Mm -hmm. That's great. But then usually you need to pipe the result into the next command, or you need to use that uh, result to... I don't know, use it uh, back in, in Vim or something like that. How do, how do you manage to interconnect all, all those tools? That's something that I always struggle with. No, this is a great question. And this usually I have to build something for this. 
something small, like a small connecting piece of like of glue, small piece of glue that connects things. So for instance, for finding files, I, I used to use IntelliJ back when I was doing Java more than 10 years ago. And IntelliJ has a great file finder that I, it was, I, I remember this until this day. So my fuzzy finder, I call it from inside of it with a similar command as IntelliJ. Then it opens a fuzzy finder. I find the file and it opens the file inside of it itself. So there's a little bit of glue code to do the integration, but that's, but that's it. And all the rest works. And I have a similar integration, fuzzy finder and Tmux. So for switching sessions inside of Tmux, I also connect to fuzzy finder, switch the session, and then it spits back the session name and Tmux switches to it. It's like small glues, uh, glue things like that. Is that your own code or that a glue code or is also bits and bobs that you get from the internet? Sometimes you get it from the internet, right? So, uh, most of it is done by myself, but sometimes you find something on the internet that is so clever, like something that you don't think of, and then you copy yeah. it. And I keep everything in my .files repository. And if it's something that I saw somewhere and I had to copy paste and I can't use it, then I copy paste and then put a link there to remember later where I found it. You, you mentioned IntelliJ. I, I totally agree. Back in the Java days, I also used IntelliJ. And yeah, some things, I'm still missing them in, in the in my Ruby Vim setup. For example, uh, refactors. Mm-hmm. I don't know, rename a method, rename classes across the, the file, things like that. Uh, those were amazing. And I haven't managed yet to, to get to that level with my Vim setup, for example. I'm curious about your, your Vim setup now. It's like, do, do you have like super powerful refactors and things like that? Nice that you also use Vim. I guess we all use Vim now, the three of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So one of the tools that, it, this was probably one of the most difficult ones to integrate was the language server that it was, it was developer, developed initially by Microsoft for the VS Code, but now you can use it everywhere. And Vim has getting better support for this or with each interaction on this. You, previously, it was really difficult, but now it's a little bit better. It's still the hardest part to set up, but once it's there, for Ruby, it doesn't really work, but for Go, I have all of that stuff, and it, I, it feels so great. Sometimes I just rename things just for the sake of it, just to see everything getting renamed. It's like, ah, oh, this is so great. Renames everything, compiles, and it just works amazingly. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah, that feeling. Yeah, I, I miss it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you also have it, Alex. Uh, the same, the same thing. Yeah, that's right. I rely on language server a lot. It just works and it's so cool and usually it's super fast. Right. I saw a plugin for Vim. It's called Null LS. It's language server. I think it, it talks the same protocol, but behind it, you could hide any tool which doesn't have language server. Interesting. So there are some configurations built in already in this plugin. You just say, just enable this tool. I have it installed. Or you could build your own. Mm-hmm. You could extend this plugin with whatever tool you use. Well, we're talking a lot about Vim and plugins and things like that for a while. But what I've learned throughout the years that I've been developing this environment is that the simpler things are actually the more important ones because it, you can get really complicated with plugins. And I've done that once. I had a super crazy Vim with lots of stuff. Then eventually you just simplify it more and more and more. And uh, now I have so some things that are so simple that sometimes it's just silly how simple they are and how great they are. For instance, I have a script that calls the GitHub API and 
that gives me a list of all the repositories that I have access to, and then simply clones all of them locally. I guess the simplest thing is just call an API and clones all the repositories. And this has completely changed the way I look at code because now I have all the repositories of my personal account and the company account in my local machine. And I can simply browse them with Vim instantly by just opening a Vim instance in that specific directory. So I write some small amount of glue code just to get tmux to open in that specific directory. And then I get a fuzzy finder with the list of all of the projects that I have locally, right? And then I have another script that given a directory name, I open the tmux, tmux section with uh, also a Vim session inside, right? And then I, this is all automated. I just press one button. I get the fuzzy finder, select the project name. I get the Vim window, the terminal window and everything in there. And I can start browsing another project. If this like it's almost no code, but and it's so simple. But it took me years to get to a point where I had that. Previously, I've tried so many different things. You know, there's Alfred in in the Mac OS where there's a Git integration, GitHub integration where you can fetch projects from there. There's so many other tools, but in the end, it's it's as simple as just writing a curl to get the list of repositories and just browsing them. <laughs> Does it make sense? Yeah, totally. It does feel that you have some kind of pattern for, for all these flows. You say you, you press the button and then there's a fuzzy finder and it opens your Tmux or yeah. uh, Vim uh, in yeah. whatever you, you, you pick in this fuzzy finder. I, I do have a pattern, yes. <laughs> what is what 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 is this what is this pattern? What is important? Because I think y- you have like a very consistent flow and very consistent environment. Yeah. And all these glue things they still follow this. When you jump from one tool to another tool, it doesn't feel that you jumped into another universe all the time. Yeah, this is this is really important because if you have to work with tools that work in different ways, it gets difficult. And I already have at least three different patterns that I have to work with. So I don't want to add any more patterns. So the first pattern is the browser, which, I mean, it works in its own ways, right? So you have to f- work with that. And there's also other small patterns like Slack. Slack, you have to do command K to open, you know, someone's chat. So that's slightly different. I don't have a Slack or like integrated with my terminal yet. That would be a dream if I could do that properly. It's already too many patterns. So when I do my own things, there's only two patterns that I can that I can work with. One is Tmux, which I press Control A and then some other key, and that's a shortcut for something. So Control A S opens a list of open sessions. I can just type the name, press enter, and opens that session. Everything is control A something inside of Tmux. So I add my own custom shortcuts to do things in there. And by the way, this becomes muscle memory. So even to remember what letter it was, to say that it was letter S, I had to think about it because I just do this with my hands. I don't have to think about it at all. I can even talk and do it at the same time because I just remember automatically. And the other pattern is... uh, I, again, I don't remember what the pattern is. It's probably a space. Uh, it's space. Sorry. Yeah. So the pattern is space and some letter. And I got this from SpaceMax, which is this Emacs distribution that gets a lot of influence from Vim, but it's also it's still an Emacs, but it, it has modes and it has a bunch of things. And they have this idea of every shortcut starting with the space bar. So you do space R for Ruby related things. But then if you want Rails related things, it's RR. And if it's, I don't know, find some controller, it's RRC. And it's like you're typing something, you just space RRC. In the end, it's a little, in, in the beginning, it's a little annoying because you're typing a lot of letters. But 
if you have a lot of shortcuts, it's a great way of grouping them. So once I'm inside of my, my Vim, I do space something, a combination of letters, and with muscle memory, I can find any of these fuzzy finders, any of like running tests. I can open an external terminal, send the test to that terminal. I can open a GitHub page in my browser. I can open a pull request, create a GIST, all of these things with space and that, you know, a couple letters. This idea really impressed me on Space Max. So I took it to the extreme and I have almost every single one of my shortcuts like this. I even have a file with the list of all shortcuts documented. Sometimes I forget them. And I have a shortcut, which is space space. I think this is also from Space Max, which lists all the shortcuts with their documentation. So it's like, it's all a big pattern. And I have a way to think about new things when I want to add them. <laughs> How do you group them? What is your recipe? Do you, when, like after space, there's a letter which, mean, uh, which means the group, right? Uh, the first yeah. layer. Is it the <laughs> object or action on this object? So I usually group for languages or some, some sort of, it's not, it's not easy to say what the groups are. There are some legacy groups. So for instance, running tests is on V, right? Space V. Because the original thing that I used many years ago to run tests was called VMUX. I don't remember what it meant, but it was a, like a Vim related TMUX integration. So it's called VMUX and it was on V. And I use it to run tests. So running tests, it's always on V. It's like a legacy thing. And I love that I have a legacy thing. <laughs> so it's space VT to run the current test, space V capital T to run the test in the current line, things like that. But I also have R for Ruby, F for Fuzzy Finder. But then inside of Fuzzy Finder, I have different Fuzzy Finders. So there's a Rails-specific Fuzzy Finder, so it's R. And Rails controllers are C, so I do space FRC or space FRM for models, FRS for serializers. So there's groups and subgroups, but the pattern is uh, it's kind of arbitrary. It's what I feel or what it feels good. Sometimes the pattern is just whatever key is close, because I don't want to make it hard to type. <laughs> cool. I have a funny story about muscles memory. Recently, I got a new laptop, the company laptop, and it has a German keyboard. And previously for, for Vim, I was using backslash as a, as a leader key. And to type backslash on German keyboard, you have to press more than one <laughs> key <laughs> just, to get the, just to get the leader. Uh, so it, it increases the number of things that you have to type. I had to relearn and switch leader key to space that it works on, 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 on both keyboards, on desktop and on laptop. Because on desktop, I have US keyboard, US layout. And I still press this backslash from time to time and wonder why it doesn't work or it shows me some weird stuff. <laughs> so yeah, muscles memory is super hard to change. This is hard. I have a big restriction now and I can only use the ANSI keyboard, American standard. Otherwise, I cannot do anything. Yeah, same here. And I, I also have a funny one with, uh, I use uh, double J to, to it's mapped to escape. So in Vim, so I use double J to, to escape because it's closer than, than the escaping in the keyboards. And every uh -huh. time I, I open an editor, I'm typing double J's everywhere <laughs> because it's <laughs> double J and then uh, uh, J going down, K going up. And I'm so used to it that it's like type, typing double J's <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so about, by the way, related to this one, 
I have my caps lock key is it used to be for a long time my control key. Yeah. Because some people think that that is better. And yeah. then I found out that a better one would be to have the escape key there. And then I wanted both. And for some time I was really researching, frustrated with this. And then I found this tool where it's actually a thing. People do this. It's caps lock becomes control and escape. And this for me is was a game changer. Because if you press caps lock with another key, then that is control. But if you press no other key and you just release it, the moment that you release it, it generates the escape key only, not the control key. Interesting. I didn't know I didn't know about that. Okay, I, I'm gonna give it a try. Thanks. <laughs> so two keys that I use all the time, control and escape inside of Vint, they're the same key. <laughs> and it's amazing, it works so well. And the problem is though, I pre I keep pressing this key in other <laughs> other places. But then eventually my Linux, it's everywhere. I also in the Mac now. I think the most recent change that I did, uh, the, the control key actually is escape everywhere. Oh, sorry, not the control key, the caps lock key. Yeah, I think it's better than JJ because JJ, I do use JJ sometimes. You're not supposed to be going down lines like that, but I like it. Sometimes I just want to scroll down with J. Question, what kind of tools you build for yourself? You, you try to find it, but mm -hmm. sometimes they just don't fit to, to your workflow yeah. or you don't like the, the output it produces uh, when it's CLI tool, for example. What did you build for yourself and you're super proud of it? <laughs> Man, I have so many things that I built for myself because I used to be really stubborn. So one of the things is if the tool is written in JavaScript, I didn't use it. Actually, I still don't use it. If it's written in JavaScript or Python, I don't use it. It's hard to install, hard to maintain. I don't like it. Like terminal tools should be fast and should be executable files. And then at some point, if the tool was in Go, I wasn't using it as well. Only if it was in Rust. But now I use tools in Go as well. No, no problem with that. So if the tool didn't exist in Rust, I was already writing it, even though it was the same thing as something else. <laughs> but in this case, most of this stuff I actually shown away and actually used the proper tools. So there was one, uh, one example is one that I didn't find a good one at the time, was a tool to generate prompt that you get in your terminal when you're going to type, right? And you can get pretty clever with this. You can get the Git, the Git branch, you can get the language that you have, it displays the version, everything, version of... Uh, Ruby or JavaScript. So I wrote one for this that used a custom language to define the thing. So because I like developing languages, so it spent months developing this thing. And there was a specific language that you had to use to define the prompt. And I was so proud of it. And it was faster than any other one of these things because they're usually written in JavaScript and they're too slow for me. The prompt cannot take more than a few milliseconds, right? 10 milliseconds at most. But then after a lot of work, I found Starship. Starship is just amazing. And it's in Rust and it's so incredibly fast and it requires zero configuration. It detects every single case. <laughs> so I had to throw it away. And very often this happens. And I, I enjoy this experience, right? There's no tool. And then I write a tool. And then in the middle of the process, I find out that there is already another tool that is better. Or maybe I find out that my requirement wasn't even the one that I thought it was in the, in the, in the first place. Right, I learned that like, this I, this is not something I need. I just thought I needed it, and I don't. So I replace it with something else. So that was more of a story and less of a list of tools. But I do have some tools <laughs> that uh, survived. That uh, there is no, I get the thing. There's no alternative in my case. I, I also have one question. So imagine that. So these, these days, most of the people are using like uh, IDs, right? Like uh, Visual Studio Code is 
probably the trendiest one right now. Mm-hmm. From from time to time, I teach people how to code, and, and I have people that are starting to code and giving trying to give them advice. And I I'm a Vim user, as I mentioned before, but I never recommend them to to start with Vim, even the, if they. When they see me working, it's like, okay, I, I want to do the same as you. I want to use the same editor as you. And, and I'm always trying to tell them, like, well, we should start with something that it, it doesn't add on top of your learning curve on how to learn to, to write code or how to learn how to program, right? Mm-hmm. What, what's your, your experience in there? Like, do you usually recommend people to go with something like Vim or really go uh, get into terminal tools? Or That's a great question. It's a great question. So the way I think about it, it's in terms of what annoys you, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it may sound silly, speaking of in terms of what annoys you, but think about the moment that you're learning to, to program for the first time. When you're learning the first time to write some loops and some if conditions and you define a variable and for some reason you need to type the type of that variable, that annoys you because you're still learning. It's like it's yeah. part of the learning process. Like, oh, I forgot the type. Okay, fix this and that. Right, so if you're doing that, then fine, you know, go ahead, do whatever you like. You, you could use Notepad for this, yeah. right? Because that's the thing that you're doing. But what I notice is that after people get more comfortable, after a few months coding, at some point they are running their tests and they're going to a terminal and then switching to the directory of CD, and then they take like a minute to figure out where to go in the which directory and then type the whole test command, and then they run the test, and then they get annoyed. It's like, okay, now you're annoyed at your development environment. This is not a learning experience anymore. This is not something you should be annoyed. That's when I tell them, like, dude, you need to do something about your environment there. Yeah. You, don't, you shouldn't need to go to your terminal and then figure out which directory it is. Your terminal should be open for you in that directory. And I think if you're using Visual Studio Code, it will open a terminal for you. You can use that one. Or you can use another one somewhere else that automatically does this for you. The way I think about it, even for myself, is that what is currently annoying me and how can I get that out of the way if that is something that shouldn't be annoying me, <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. It shouldn't be part of, of your thinking process, right? Programming becomes easier, and then something else is the problem. At some point, it's the terminal. At some point, it's the running the test. At some, at some point, it's the browser, right? At some point, it's Slack or you know having distractions or working with two monitors. I've gone through all of these things. All of my like my two monitor setup is optimized. My browser is optimized. Like what, what's currently annoying me is that on Linux, there's this two copy-paste areas, what do you call this? There's two ways you copy-paste, and this is not working as well as it was as it was working on the Mac before. So this is the current thing that's annoying, and I still don't know how to solve it properly. Yeah, I still have this this issue, this Arduino stuff. I had to learn so much. I'm a complete beginner in this electronics uh, thing, and even, even <laughs> picking the wire, it's already a problem. <laughs> and at some point i realized that i spent so many hours literally just by reading and and watching and learning all these tools and literally zero minutes uh doing this stuff that i want to do and i know this is already kind of procrastination i learned a lot but did zero progress towards the the actual goal yeah this is this is really tough to, to to figure out yeah in the beginning of last year i was learning Go. And my environment wasn't set up for Go. I didn't have the language uh, server. I didn't have the 
plugins. I didn't know how to run the tests properly. Everything was configured for Ruby. And when you're learning, there's the cognitive load of the learning process. And that came together with the cognitive load of the development environment not working, right? And at some point, I figure I try to figure out this is definitely annoying, but is it annoying because I'm learning and that is stretching my abilities or is it annoying because of the development environment? And it's a huge psychological factor because if you're unhappy about what you're doing, you're you're not going to do it, especially for me. And (laughs) this is really important to me. I mean, personally, this is something that is important. I need to be happy about what I'm doing. Like I take this really seriously. And then I started writing down what the problems were in lists so I also have organizations in terms of lists, which is slightly related to this topic, but I was writing in different lists what kinds of problems I had and if those were things that I needed to learn or things that I needed to fix about my development environment or things that I just needed to accept in Go because there's a lot of those. <laughs> so so, so there's, a, there's a huge psychological factor on how you set up your development environment that you need to be aware of if you want to be effective and if this is something important to you. If it isn't important, then fine, you just live with it. Yeah, related to that, I'm, I'm, these days I'm trying uh, dev containers. So the idea is that mm-hmm. you have all your, your, your whole development environment in the Docker definitions, right? So once you spin a, a new Docker container, you have everything, including your uh, VM ID or, or whatever. So everything is ready to go. And well, it started recently, like one month ago, something like that. And for now, I'm focused on Ruby. But the idea is that I... In every single project that I have, pet projects and so on, I have this dev container folder. And if I download the the repo, my dev container is ready to go in any machine where I am. Of course, you do depend on a little bit more on the power of the, the machine that you're using. Because yeah, you need Docker and you need to, it's gonna eat more resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that I'm I'm really exploring because of that. Because I also want to experiment with other languages, but I want to have everything ready to go. So when I'm studying, I don't have to think about, ah, well, how do I run the test or how do I do this? So I have a, this dev environment, this box that is ready to go and I can focus on learning or working on my side project. Isn't it Nick Soyas supposed to do this stuff, right? I, I, I almost wasn't going to say anything, but since you asked, <laughs> I also have this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In NixOS, the package manager is completely functional and you can install any versions of any packages. They don't conflict and you, you have full full control over these things. It's hard to explain in such a short amount of time, but it's basically completely functional. So when I open a terminal with my scripts in a certain project, it looks at a file in the, in the directory of that project that specifies all the dependencies of that project. And then in that terminal, those packages are installed by Nix. And nice. the same thing happens <laughs> on the Mac OS as well, right? And if I go to a different terminal, those packages are not installed. So every single project that I have, including the projects that I work for at Bubble, they have this file and all the dependencies are there and they're completely reproducible across builds. It's, it should be similar to this dev environment thing, except it's only packages. I don't share the, the development environment, like my Vim and all the other things. That they, they are shared. Like so They're not in this terminal. They're separately and shared mm-hmm. interesting and the advantage would be is that there is no docker it's not right yeah, in, inside no docker. a docker so you don't you don't waste system resources in this case mm-hmm. exactly well if you want you can add docker as yeah, a dependency yeah. in there and then you could have docker 
Yeah, I started to explore with Docker because I saw in the Visual Studio Code that they are using this integration with uh, Docker more and more. So I'm getting I'm getting inspired by those ideas. But yeah, that that, that idea, yeah, it's also a good one. Another thing to explore. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a trend, and more tools will appear soon of this kind. I mean. What is your favorite developer experience that like from the tool when you use the tool and you, I don't know, excited? It's so well built. In my case, if it would be CLI, uh, I really like when it has a lot of options. So it's, it's flexible, it's properly output streams for errors and for messages. It, it knows the thing, right? It knows this, the Unix philosophy in this case that I could configure this tool for myself. It knows where to put configuration files and this this kind of things. It's somehow pure joy for me. And <laughs> 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 the tool is just working properly. It's it's super simple, the super simple things, but uh, it's surprising how many tools are not doing this. What is your definition of ideal development experience? All right. So for me is similar to yours the tool has to follow the unix philosophy and it's incredible how many tools just do way too many things and like you have a lot of duplication on these things but if you find a tool that does just one thing and it's fast first so i also need it to be really fast i don't like to wait that's just amazing and i'm going to bring up the starship example again it's so fast and it just works. You just install it. You can install it in your Mac, brew install Starship, and then you put it on your terminal and it runs amazingly fast and you don't even need to pass any options. This is the kind of stuff that I really like. I tend not to like tools that have UIs, even in the terminal, unless they're extremely necessary. So like HTOP, HTOP is great, but it's one of the few tools with UI that I use, except for them. All, all of the other tools are just command line, Unix style things that I can combine. FCF is just incredibly well done, right? It takes an input, you select something and spits out the output. It does nothing else. Or maybe it does a couple of things, but it's just support things. It's totally in the Unix philosophy. And this is it for me, Unix philosophy and speed. Exactly the same, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, totally, I totally agree. Like has to, for me, it also has to be super, super fast. Otherwise, I, I get super, super annoyed. I don't remember the name, but in the past, I tried a couple of uh, plugins for being to run my tests, and they were not fast, fast enough, and that was super annoying. For some time, I, I ended up using Guard because it's already reloading all the time. So when I switched to, to the test, it's, it's already probably it was already run because yeah, mm -hmm. time, you, you need time to switch windows or whatever. So it's already in there and I don't have to wait because I hate to wait, <laughs> to wait for things. Yeah. yeah and I, when, when I arrive in a new project and the, the test suite is super slow because returns, it, it drives me mad. It's one of the things that I always try to, to improve, like test speed because you, 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 I don't know. I don't know what's your workflow, but I tend to run the tests quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And it sums up. So even if it's plus, I don't know, plus 10 seconds is a lot because plus 10 seconds during the whole day of work is a lot of seconds, right? Yeah. So yeah, same, same as both of you. I really need things that are simple, do one thing, but they do it well and they do it fast. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> I have one more question because... A lot of people ask me, uh, why don't you switch to Visual Studio Code or why should I start to, with BIM? 
what are the pros of, of Beam? Or people also ask me, is it worth to switch to Beam, use Beam, or those kinds of terminal editors instead of a full ID? My answer is like, for, for me, it's an easy answer because I'm, I'm, I was using Beam back in the days in the university. There was no good editors for Ruby or PHP back in those days. And I already learned Beam back then, so I continued to use it. And for me, it was like natural evolution, right? I use uh, some uh, clips and uh, IntelliJ for Java, and I did some Java back in the days. Yeah, it was like um, natural for me. I learned when I was learning to code, and it was evolving from, from there. So I don't have a good answer for the people that are starting or the people that are thinking about switching. That's why I want to ask you, both of you, what's your what's your point of view on, on this topic? <laughs> so when I was doing my master's degree, I worked with a guy who was doing his doctor's degree and he was using Windows and he was a great, great programmer. He was like amazing guy, super smart. And I asked him, how can you use that? Like, is this like, is how do you even code on Windows? And he said, man, there's trade-offs for everything. The code that he was writing was using templates in C++, and the only compiler that could do it in reasonable time was the Microsoft, whatever it's called, Visual Studio compiler for C++. GCC would take minutes, almost hours, to compile his code because of the templating code. And this was a, a matter of trade-off for him because it was so much faster. And then he got really good at Visual Studio and he was incredibly fast, even though the terminals in, in Windows are not good, even with PowerShell, they're not great. Of course, at the time I disagreed with this completely. No, you have to use Windows. But then with time, I got more tolerant and I understood that it comes to what, what matters to you. Making the choice to go to Vim or to v VS Code, it's really, you have to think about what matters to you. It annoys me that some people don't think what matters to them. They don't say, hey, this matters to me. I'm going to make this choice. They just go with whatever. This is a little bit annoying. But if, if you say what matters to me is this aspect or this other aspect, then you make a decision based on those things. And if you do that, it doesn't matter how hard it is to switch. You will switch because it, it's what matters to you. My, my transition to Vim was not an easy one. I disliked it a lot in the beginning because IntelliJ was just so much better and it comes out of the box with everything working. But when I switched to Vim, there were some aspects that were so important that I went through the transition and I don't regret it. I still miss some of the stuff, of course, but I, I, don't, I don't regret it. So when people ask these things, I, I tell them to reflect and, and really ask themselves what matters to them. So I guess that would be my answer. Find what's important to you. Yep, I could totally agree with this and maybe add that it would make sense to try things oh, yeah. before following someone's opinion that this better than this uh, or just use this and there is no other choice. Just try and decide for yourself. Mouse is fine. Arrow keys are fine. This KJ whatever is also totally fine. You just pick whatever tool uh, does the, the work best for you. And there is no ideal operating systems they're all different and they all have different flows they good at something and <laughs> terrible and horrible at other things but in summary they are all fine and that's it so just pick whatever works for you and not just in software tools in, in anything basically this yeah. is, would be this would be my two cents in life <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with everything. everything is personal taste <laughs> yeah i really like that you mentioned that you should try 
And this is something that I do as well. I try Emacs. For me, there is no battle between Emacs or Vim, except, you know, if it's your friend and you're joking. But there's no battle. I tried Emacs <clears throat> and I tried Space Max and I tried other Evo, I think it's called Evo Max. I tried all of those and I configured it myself and I went through the struggles and I saw the good parts. And then I took the good parts to, to my setup and I have them now, so I, I don't need the other one. But I also saw how important it is to me actually to have modes like Invent. And so I try other tools, I learn what is good in both of them. So I can never again go to a tool that doesn't use modes because that is just incredibly important. But I bring other things from, from other tools. And technically, I don't use Vim. I use NeoVim because there's also like scripting that is in Lua now and other things that I find important. Things that I learned by trying different editors without any prejudice. You just go and try. Sometimes you just got to write some code on a Google Doc and see what is good about it. And reflection is also super important. You cannot just, oh, this tool doesn't work for me. I, I don't like it. Just throw it yeah. away. But it's important to ask yourself what actually doesn't work, why you don't like it. Because then it will be helpful to, if you look for, for another tool, for alternative, then you would know what you are looking for exactly, right? You know what works for you, what doesn't. Otherwise, you will do the same, the same mistake once again with another tool. Thank you, Juan, for your time for answering all our awesome questions and silly questions <laughs> as well. <laughs> Man, I'm really happy to be here. It was an amazing conversation. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. In case of any questions, simply send us an email at codeandbeyond at protonmail.com. You will find this address in the show notes. If you're listening to our show on Spotify, don't forget to leave a rating. Keep being amazing. Bye. Bye.